We are in our third week of a series that will probably just take us five weeks, so we're right smack dab in the middle, of a look at the church. And over the last two weeks, we've looked at the fact that the church is an assembly of people called together, called out to follow Jesus Christ, that it is His assembly, this word that we call, this, this group that we call a church, it's a the Lord's assembly, you might say. And we saw last week that uh, as we come together, the primary mark that we know that we are a, a part of a church, uh, part of the church, and part of individual churches is the love we have for one another. That uh, at some degree, obviously I think... Uh, the way I love my wife and my children is different than the way I love my nieces and my sister-in-law, right? There's still love. It's different. And, and I have a genuine love for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in other uh, structures, other buildings, and gathering with other groups of people at this moment. There is the church throughout the world, and I don't know those people, and I don't know what they're going through, but I have a love for them because they're part of the church, and, and that's what we have. So, we have a different level of love, and there's a specific strong love in those who gather together in a local congregation, as we are doing now. That, that by our choice, you know, in the wedding vows, we say forsaking all others. And to a certain extent, the fact that you have chosen to be here today and not in another church at this exact same moment communicates a forsaking of all others to be here together today. You know, to some degree. It's not the same, obviously. But is, is that what the church is all about? Is the church just to be a, a group of people who are called out to love one another in Jesus' name? Uh, if we just do that, we, yeah, maybe we're being the church, but are we fulfilling Jesus' purposes for us as a church? Why does he want us to gather together? Why does he encourage us to worship together? Why does he really command not just encouraged, not just, oh, it would be a nice idea. No, but he calls upon us to gather together to worship him. Why? And that's what we're going to look at today. What is the, the purpose? What is the mission of the church? And we're actually going to look at it today, and we're going to look at it next week because it's two parts. What we're going to look at, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, but to begin with, I want to read you uh, what Jesus told his disciples from Matthew chapter 28 and verses 16 through 20. Matthew and Luke are the two gospel, or not the two gospels, Acts, which was written by Luke. But Matthew and the book of Acts have Jesus's parting words to his disciples in two different places. Uh, the first one, though, is in Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus has been resurrected and a, uh, a conspiracy has been made to, to excuse how that happened, a claim that the disciples stole the body, we are told in verse 16, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now in this passage, we have Jesus' commission to the church. He, he, he tells them that all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth. And since He has authority, what is He going to do? He tells them, go therefore. All authority has been given to Me, therefore go and make disciples. And a lot of emphasis is placed on the go. But if we take it grammatically, the focus is make disciples disciples of all the nations how do we make disciples of all the nations we go we baptize them and we teach them those are the the three steps the three uh, actions within that support this idea of making disciples Uh, to make a disciple you're going to generally have to go to them You're going to have to go into their lives. You're going to have to go to the the new area where the gospel is not. That's what Paul was constantly doing, saying, I want to go somewhere where the gospel hasn't been preached. I don't want to build off of somebody else's foundation. I want to lay the foundation for other people to build. That was Paul's focus. Even if it's just going across to a neighbor to invite them over to your house, you got to go. The only place I know of where you don't have to go to make disciples, I understand in India, religious um, teachers will set up a structure on the side of the road and sit in there. And people who have desire for spiritual guidance will walk by, and if they desire spiritual guidance, they will come in and seek it. And a missionary actually, is he was trying to do things the old Western way, and it wasn't working, and so he realized all these spiritual leaders, this is what they did. So he built a structure on the side of the road and just sat in there. About the only time that you can just sit there and wait for your potential disciples to come by. You know, and even there, he had to go to India. So he still went, you know, but I remember reading about that, hearing about that and thinking, man, I I could probably do that. I, I should go to India, you know. If only they, well, I guess they do mostly speak English to a certain degree in most places. Because I'm terrible with other languages. It's hard enough to speak English. So you got to go. At some point, in some effort, we have to go. And then at some point, we have to share Jesus to the point where we're able to baptize them. And then finally, part of making disciples is to teach them. And what we're going to look at today is the first part. Did you know that evangelism and discipleship are really two parts of the same thing. It's all part of making disciples. The evangelism where you go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ or you're trying to share with somebody about Jesus, that is part of making a disciple. And once they decide they're going to start following Jesus, then the teaching is part of making a disciple. What we do is we gather together today. We worship through the songs we sing, through the actions we take, if we do the Lord's Supper, or if we do the offering, and through this time right now, the sermon, this has in it the purpose of making disciples, that we would be made better disciples, that we would grow in Christ, that we would continue to follow him. That is the the commission that Jesus has given us. The church is commissioned 
with making disciples. That is our entire purpose of gathering together is to encourage one another and sharpen one another and shape one another and strengthen one another, but all, which is part of making us disciples, but also that we would be reaching out to new people, sharing with them who Jesus is. Making, and, and the phrase there is a verb. It means to literally be disciples. Well, if you're going to go and cause somebody else to become a disciple is the idea. To, to work in their lives in such a way that people would be drawn to Jesus and become followers of Him. The church is commissioned with making disciples. Everything the church does should have at its root this idea of making disciples. Are we strengthening ourselves as disciples? Are we doing what we can to bring other people to know who Jesus is. So today's Halloween and churches are doing this weekend. What are they doing? Fall festivals and parties and different things. And I don't know if they've done them all yesterday or some of them are going to be doing it today. You do trunk or treat. We don't just do it so that kids have a safe place to go do it. You don't do it just because it's fun and you want to share the fun with the community. We do those activities just like when we have a community Thanksgiving dinner or community fish fries when we do that. We do these in the hope that we will be able to interact with people that aren't going to be here on a Sunday morning and that we might, through our influence and how we live and what they experience and what they see, be able to start a relationship, a dialogue, with the end goal being we would love to see them believe in Jesus Christ and serve him and not continue to walk in their rebellion against Him. Everything we do should have that as the foundation. Otherwise, we're just a social club. But if we're, if we're focused on how do we help strengthen and make disciples, now we're on the primary focus that Jesus has, has led us through. That we would be making disciples. And like I said, we're going to look at the first part, the go make disciples part. And then next week what we're going to look at is the strengthening, the teaching, the how do we develop as disciples. But in looking at the going, the making, the witness that we are going to be as, as our title had, we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 6 through 8 is where... Uh, Jesus is, and, and this is truly the last thing he says to his disciples because right after, he, he, he leaves them. He goes up into the clouds. The book of Acts opens up with Luke explaining to Theophilus, his, uh, most likely the man who has paid for him to write this book, his benefactor. He's explained everything about Jesus' ministry throughout the, the Gospel of Luke. And in the book of Acts, he's going to tell them about everything that happens after Jesus leaves about the Holy Spirit coming upon the people and the ministry and the spreading the gospel throughout the, the empire. And as the disciples come together with Jesus at the, as He's about to depart from them, He says in verse 6, uh, Luke shares with us, so when they had come together, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Lord, is it going to start? Are you going to take over Israel now? Are you going to be set up on the Davidic throne? Are you going to be king over everybody? Is it now? Is it at this time? I mean, think about it. They're, 
they're, they're on the Mount of Olives, which is right across from the temple. And he's gathered them together, and they come together. And you can almost imagine that they think, we're about to go in. We're about to go into the temple, and he's going to get rid of the high priest, who's been a complete sham, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to get rid of the Romans. It is on! And Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then the very next verse says, after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And, and I, uh, you know, if you think that the disciples showed up at the Mount of Olives thinking that we're going to go into Jerusalem and, and you know, the, oh, just a month and a half ago he entered on a donkey and now he's going to enter as the conquering king, you can understand why they're still looking up after he left. And a couple of angels are like, men of Galilee, what are, you, what are you looking for up there? He's gone. He's going to come back again someday, but he's not coming back today. You know, and they're all just, where'd he go? Thought we were going to take over Jerusalem. Thought we were going to get rid of the Romans. What did he say? We're going to have power. We're going to have, the Holy Spirit will come upon us and we will receive power. And that we're going to be his witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, which is Judea is the area surrounding Jerusalem and Samaria is its northern neighbor. And then even to the remotest part of the earth. You shall be my witnesses, Jesus said. And so the thing we got to remember here is uh, we make disciples by being Jesus' witnesses, not being the church's witnesses, not being our own witnesses, but Jesus. He's the focus. We receive power from His Holy Spirit that we might share what He has done. You know, it's not what the church has done. It's not what we have done. It's what He has done. And, and, and we don't have to convince people of what it is. We just have to tell them what it is. A witness, a witness in this verse is the same word that we get a martyr from. That we will be His martus. A, a martyr is so called because they were a witness of who Jesus was even unto death. That they proclaimed in their uh, willingness to die and not re him or reject him or uh, deny him. That's why they're called martyrs, because they are witnesses about who Jesus is. We are going to be his witnesses. An eye or an ear witness is, is kind of the idea. And, and we have this today. If you're ever called into a court or by the, the police or even a, a, you know, an insurance adjuster, if you happen to have seen an accident, they might call you up and say, what did you see? Well, they're not asking you who's at fault. They're not asking you who caused what. They're asking you, what did you see? What did you hear? You know, all you have to do is share your part. You don't have to speculate on anything else, just what you know. In this day and age, we even have expert witnesses. They don't even have to have seen anything. They just have to have knowledge of a thing. And to be able to say, well... You know, this is the way science works. And so that's why we know that this is the way this worked out. We have expert witnesses. We have eyewitnesses. And their whole purpose is to share what they have seen. 
We don't have to do anything more than that. But to share what we've experienced, to share what we have seen, to share what we have read and what we have heard about Jesus. We're witnesses for Him. And everything else is, we don't need to worry about it. Everything else He'll take care of. But we make disciples by being Jesus' witnesses. Because remember, what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows another. A disciple is one who follows a teacher or a leader. Jesus is the teacher. If we're his disciples, we're following him. We're not trying to get other people to follow us. We're trying to get other people to follow him. And sometimes you'll, you'll find yourself, you'll be talking to somebody, and they're more interested in a pastor than in Jesus. A person's teaching. And, and we saw this in, uh, on Wednesday night in the Gospel of John, that the rabbis of Jesus' time, that's the way things work. You, you developed a following and you talked about, well, this one rabbi says this and this other rabbi says that. Jesus came on the scene and what did he say? You've heard it was said, but I say to you. I'm not quoting anybody else except I'll quote my Father in heaven and I'll tell you what I'm going to say. And so as we gather together, what are we trying to get him to, people to follow? Are we trying to get them to follow us? No. Jesus. We are his witnesses. He's even, he even said this. Remember last week we saw in, um, in, in uh, the sermon that Jesus said, uh, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That our love for one another was a witness to the world. Jesus even told us this prior to, to him leaving in, in Matthew chapter 5 in what's called the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He told the disciples in verses 14, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus' purpose for us even all the way at the very beginning when he was just talking to the disciples, explaining how things were going to work and what his kingdom was like, he said, you are like a light that needs to be put on a lampstand, not under a bushel. It's not for the church to, to say, oh, we're the light of the world, and then just to hunker down with one another. You know, and one of the hard things is, is what does the darkness do? The darkness rejects the light, the Gospel of John tells us. The darkness hates the light. Because the light exposes their deeds, and their deeds are evil. And so if we're going to be the light, and if we're going to be on a lampstand, if we're going to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, you're going to put up with some pushback from the world. And it's very tempting just to keep our light to ourselves. Just to be nice and bright together inside here. But that's not what he has called us to. That we are to be witnesses, and the way we are witnesses is by interacting with other people. Which means, as much as we are showing who Jesus is, they're, they're, they're going to be showing us who their Father is. You know, as we witness to people in our lives, they're going to be doing the same. And the longer you walk with Christ, the more upsetting it can be to walk around and be with those who are wicked. Can it? And that's why it can be so easy just to pull back and just to have only interactions with one another. 
But no, Jesus has called us to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And here's the first part of being a witness. It's not about talking. The first part of our witness is our actions. The world will know us by our actions. Just like Jesus said, the world will, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Before you ever get to say something, the world will know you by your actions. The world will know us by our actions. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. You know, it's like when you're walking down the street and you see a sign, and if it's nighttime and the sign is all lit up, you might see the light before you're able to read what it says. <laughs> Especially as your eyes get older, right? You know? But you'll see the light, and then you get closer and you see what does it say. And this is true about our witness. It doesn't matter what you have to say if your actions are in contradiction to your statements. This is something that I've, I probably still need to work on, but early on when I first became a pastor and started preaching on a regular basis, Amy said, David, you have got to work on your facial expressions. Because I was saying something that was important and exciting, and I was scouring at everybody. And she, I said, no, it's exciting, it's, it's important, I'm, I'm enthused by it. And she says, you look angry. You look mad. And so I had to work on making sure that as I preached, my thoughts were not just on the words that I was saying, but does my countenance support what I'm saying? And it doesn't always work. Sometimes I'm, you know, passionate. And when I get passionate, I get cross for some reason, you know? It doesn't matter what I am saying. All the people are sitting there saying is, what's he so angry about? You know? And the same can be true about us. You might love people dearly, and your way of doing it is off-putting. You know, we can tease them, and they don't realize that we're being loving. I, again, I'm, I guess it's con confession day for me today, right? Uh, I'm a sarcastic person. Well, not everybody picks it up. You know, there's a lot of knuckle-dragging people that just can't put... No, I'm just not being mean there. I can think I'm being funny and loving a person and they walk away saying, what a jerk. I don't ever want to have anything to do with him again. And that's not good if I'm trying to share the light of Jesus Christ because Jesus isn't a jerk. And you want to have something to do with him again. And so we have to look at our actions uh, as a church as a whole. You know, are our actions good or bad? This was the major question for us last year. Uh, do churches close down or do we stay open when everybody was saying you had to shut everything down? You know, what do our actions... And it wasn't so much of what can we do and what's most important for us individually. The question hinged on how do we best show love to our neighbors? That was the struggle. What are... You know, right now, and for, for longer than I've been a Southern Baptist... The Southern Baptist Convention has been acting in ways that make people say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Now we have abuse run rampant through our, uh, our, our convention. We have issues with the executive uh, committee not being able to, to, to protect those who are weak. 
You have a lot of people saying, I wouldn't have anything to do with the convention, and I would never want any of my loved ones to have anything to do with the convention. Well, that's a great witness. It doesn't matter that we have a wonderful attitude about the believer or share the truth about baptism. It doesn't matter because what speaks is our actions and overwhelmingly what the people see is different than the gospel message. And we've got to ask ourselves quite often, what are our works? Are, are we showing good works? Are we as a church such a way and acting in such a way as we come together? Do we behave in such a way? Do we treat our neighbors in such a way that people see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? Or do they see our works and not glorify our Father in heaven? That's a toughie, isn't it? They will know us. The world will know us by our actions. How we treat one another. How we treat others. More than this, uh, a picture like this before. Uh, these messages are not equal. If you can read this, it says, Happy Easter to Adolf. Right? This is from World War II. That's a bomb. Right? Uh, there's another one with guys with a basket full of mortars, and they're called Easter Eggs for Hitler. They don't really mean Happy Easter to Adolf. They've written that, but they want to drop a bomb on his head. That's their desire. They've written a nice, gentle message, though. The words that we have to say as believers, the message that we have to share of Jesus Christ is like the writing on a bomb. If, if our actions... If our actions are such that they hurt people, if our actions are such that they push people away, they will never hear the message because the primary message here is not what has been written, but the bomb. The bomb is the message. In the same way, the words that we use, they're like the writing there. The gospel message that we want to share, sometimes if we're talking to somebody and we want to share with them who Jesus is, well, the way we go about doing it is the bomb. And we blow up the situation before they ever get the chance to hear the words of, of life, of Jesus. You know, we can be sarcastic. We can be bombastic. We can be uh, arrogant. Our words matter so much. Or, excuse me, our actions matter so much more. This is why, you know, it's, it's a very easy thing. I had a guy once ask me uh, recently, do we have an outreach ministry? You know, what do we do for outreach? And as I started to tell him, I understood that he, he did not agree with me on this because his idea of outreach is going down to the uh, outside of clubs in Fort Worth with a microphone and a radio box and to talk to people. And if the police make him you know, turn off the microphone, then he just talks really loudly. And I understand there's a place for that. And, and to me, it would be very easy to do that. And I've actually done that in life, not down at clubs, but I've sat on the side of a street, uh, a sidewalk, and just talked. But the problem is, is what about the actions? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking out of a club, the last thing I need is some Christian yelling at me. Doesn't feel loving. Doesn't matter if they're there giving up their time because they love me. If I'm not experiencing it, that, that's the action. You know? 
We might very lovingly, and, and again, I, I've had situations where uh, I very lovingly wanted to uh, encourage a person in spiritual growth. I thought they needed to dress a little bit better, that they should show more care for themselves. And a, a sister came along and said, David, you're way out of line. That is not your place. You do not need to be saying that. You could be crushing this person. I was doing it out of love. Doesn't matter. My words were true. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that my words were true because it was having the effect because of my actions to destroy, not to heal. So the world will know us by our actions. And I'm sure you've heard it said before, it's a lot of times been accredited to Francis of Assisi to uh, share the gospel, use, use words if necessary. And, and it can seem like that's what I'm getting at. And it, it is true. We, we should share the gospel and use words if necessary. You know, how we live our lives is so much more important than anything you ever get a chance to say. If anything, it's by how you live your life that you will obtain the opportunity to share. You know, Paul uh, going into prison in Jerusalem, being taken to uh, the Roman governor and sitting in prison for years, earned him a hearing before the governor, eventually before Caesar. He had to live through prison. But how he lived got him that hearing. When they were uh, shipwrecked and he was gathering sticks and he threw some sticks in the fire and a snake came out and bit him and he shook it off into the fire and everybody thought he would die. When he didn't die, his actions of not dying caused them to say, we want to hear why you're different. Peter tells us this, that we should always be ready to share the reason for the hope we have in Jesus Christ, that as we are being, uh, as the church experiences persecution and trials, the idea is, is that how we live in those trials will cause people to wonder, why do you have hope? Why do you look at the future with such excitement and joy? And that we would earn the chance to share. I think one of the downsides to that statement to share the gospel and if necessary use words is because we can get the attitude of we don't need to share with words. The fact of the matter though is that it, it is absolutely necessary for us to use words. It's not enough to be a, a good person who loves the Lord and shows love to everybody that they all experience Jesus through you without at some point sharing who Jesus is, why we should believe in Him, why it's more than just to say that He was a good teacher, but that He is the Savior of the earth and that we need to believe in Him and repent from our sins. Those things, I don't know how else to communicate them, but through words. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 10, talking about how the, there's, there's no distinction between Jew or Greek. All of them can receive salvation. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says in verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? It's a very logical progression. How can they call on a person 
if they have not believed in Him? How can you cry out to Jesus for help if you don't believe in Him? Okay, It would be the same thing as if you were in the ocean and a boat's going by. You have to believe that that boat's there and that they can save you so that you'll cry out, save me. How can you call on them if you don't believe that they're there? How can they call on Jesus if they don't believe in Him? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How can you believe in somebody you've never heard about? How can you have knowledge of somebody if you've never been told about them? How can they believe in Him whom they have not heard? It is necessary for them to hear about Jesus so that they might believe in Him, so that they might call on Him. And then he says, and how will they hear without a preacher? And that doesn't mean a person with a job. That means somebody who will proclaim the truth. That means every single one of us in here. How will they hear unless one of us proclaims? Unless all of us at some point in everybody's life we get the opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is. And then in verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? And that takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse go. Right? Or verse 8, go. Make disciples. How will they preach unless they are sent. We have to have the willingness to go, to share, to show with our lives, but eventually we have to speak. And he says, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. It's not enough for us just to be good and have good deeds and to showcase those things. We have to be able to share those good things. We must tell people about Jesus if they're ever to believe in Him. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. is How can they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How can they hear unless they have somebody preach? And the word preach, we've turned it into you know, being a preacher and, and a job and a role in the church. And I accept it, and I love it. I love being a preacher. But that word means to proclaim. That's why you get called a preacher. If this is your primary job, is proclaiming the good news. But each one of us is a preacher. Each one of us has the time and the opportunity to proclaim the good news. We earn that through our, our good deeds, our actions, how we live. When we show people God's love, when we show Him our faith, then they will to hear. I, I'm reminded as I, as I say this about a lady named Gladys, I'm going to get her last name wrong, Alrend? Alrend? Alward? Alward. Gladys Alward. She was a maid in London, England. She was a housekeeper. She felt called to be a missionary to China. No Chinese uh, mission organization, no, no organization would send her. She didn't have the education. She didn't have the training. But she worked for a lady and a man who had been missionaries in China, so she started learning Chinese, and she started putting money away every week and bought herself a ticket to China. Found herself employment. She was going to be helping a lady who ran an inn in China. She got there. The lady that she was supposed to work with within a year, I think it was, had died. Things looked miserable and hopeless. But then the Chinese government decided foot binding was no longer going to be 
allowed. It was going to be illegal. And the local Mandarin needed somebody who could travel all over the mountains, making sure little girls' feet were being bound up, as was the practice. Well, no man would do the job, and unfortunately, all the Chinese women couldn't walk. So he relied upon this ignorant English woman. And she walked everywhere, sharing the gospel and making sure little girls' feet weren't bound. And uh, it became such a raging success that she really didn't need to do, to do the job after the first two visits. People understood that she had profound faith in her God. And so when the prison uh, had a riot and they didn't know what to do and they didn't have troops to send in, they went and got Gladys. And they said, Gladys, your God is so great, just go in there and stop the riot. And she was terrified, and she thought, how can I do this? But how can I not go inside? I've told them all how great and strong and powerful my God is. And so she went into this prison where she saw a man chasing another man with a bloody machete, and she just said the first thing that was in her mind, hey, stop, put that down. And it was so crazy that this foreign woman was in there telling them what to do. The guy put the machete down and he stopped. And, and she kind of, I mean, almost like a school marm, took over the prison, lined them up, told them they had to quit behaving the way they were, and uh, talked to them and found out how, uh, what was going on. And, and she helped them stop the riot and clean up the prison and make it better. On and on and on, she just kept living and serving. And when the Japanese were coming in, and World War II had begun, and the Japanese were going to overrun this area, the Mandarin had a big dinner, and he invited all the officials, and he invited Gladys, and she was his uh, guest of honor. And he said to her, Gladys, I have seen how you live. And I want to follow Jesus like you do. It was his last official duty as the Mandarin of that area, the ruler of that district. And he said, I have seen how you have lived and I want to follow Jesus. Now she had to share. She had to speak. But she was a witness to Jesus because of her life. How she had lived. And that is my hope for us too, that how we live our lives would communicate a hope, a steadfastness, a trust in Jesus, that how we live our lives would show people his grace, his mercy, his gentleness, and that by doing that, we would win the opportunity to share why we live the way we do. Because of Jesus. Eventually, if, if a person, think of it, every single one of us, we had to have somebody explain to us who Jesus is, why I need him, and what he has done. We have needed somebody to explain it to us. Those who are in our lives that do not know him, they need us. They need us to show and they need us to explain. That's what we need. That's why our, our, our vision is sharing Jesus and showing grace across generations. The showing is every bit as much, if not more important, 
than the sharing because it gives us the opportunity. It opens up the door and hopefully it opens up the heart and the ears to hear that message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before You. We are grateful, Lord, that You have sent people to us. Most of us, if not all of us, are descendants from tribes and nations that did not believe in You. Our ancestors worshipped trees and animals and spirits. And somebody came and shared the Gospel. And maybe the first one who came, we killed them. Maybe the second one that came, we killed them. But they kept coming. And because they came, because they shared their lives and they shared the message of who Jesus is, our ancestors believed. And it has been passed down to us. And at some point, each one of us in our lives had somebody who loved us enough to show us Your grace. Who loved us enough to be patient, and to share with us your heart to the point that we were willing to listen as they told us who Jesus is. Father, we pray today that you would help us to live in such a way that we would go into the lives of those around us who they're not living right and we know it. But Lord, help us to endure it to share Your love, to show the good deeds that You have given us to do, that we could share Jesus Christ with them. Father, we pray for anybody here today who has seen Your good deeds through our lives, who has come to a place and has heard the message of Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for our sins that we are in rebellion against You, and that because of Jesus' death, our penalty has been paid. And if we believe in Him, we can be restored to You, forgiven of our sins, and walk in faith. Father, we pray that if anybody here today has heard that message and has been brought to the place of believing in Jesus, Lord, that they would believe and follow Him. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.